Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March the 18th, 2015, and this is episode 1537 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a standalone show for you today. We're going to talk about homestead project management. All the stuff you want to get done that you just can't seem to either find the money or the time or the time and the money at the same time to get done, or you have the money and you have the time to get some of it done but not all of it done, and you have a hard time putting it in order, or you get something halfway done and then you can't figure out how to finish it, or you're not sure where you need help and what kind of help you need when you need it, and you're not sure what you can do yourself, all of that stuff. Because I'll tell you one thing about this uh, this community. Very project-oriented. project oriented. I get constantly emails from people showing me what they're doing and telling me what they're planning on doing and things like that. But when you start doing that, you start spending a lot of time, a lot of money, and you start having to try to find a balance in all this. And the way I got this topic, I was supposed to do an interview today that flaked out one too many times for me. I, I, you know, I book about 70 guests a year, and 68 of them don't flake out, and about two out of the, the 70 will. And once they flake out more than once, their their opportunity goes away. So that happened this week. So I was supposed to have an interview today that we don't have now. So I thought, well, how am I going to come up with a topic today? And I started you know, thinking I could go back through emails and stuff. I thought, you know what? Why don't I jump on the TSP Zello channel? So I did. First subject brought up was, what about project management? And then we had about a 45-minute discussion while I walked around with the ducks and watched Charlie kill mice and uh, came up with some ideas for today's show. So it came right out of the TSP Zello channel. If you've never tried out the Zello channel, give it a shot, man. It is an incredible community of people. And all you got to do is go to the survivalpodcast.com, and you'll see uh, a little segment right up at the uh, top center part of the page uh, that will say, Connect with TSP. And about halfway down a list of stuff, LinkedIn and stuff like that, you'll see Zello. Just click that. And there'll be a link in today's show notes, 1537 as well. You can learn all about how to sign up with the Zello Network. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Easiest sponsor I've ever had to sponsor. It's just so simple. Because here's the deal. Uh, I was subscribed to them originally in 1994. But after I got out of the Army and kind of got my first real job where I had enough money to be able to like subscribe to a magazine, it's 2015. That's 21 years. I'm still a subscriber. Become a subscriber, and you'll probably be one for multiple decades as well. Need I say more than that? Check them out today, backwardshome.com. Next up today, J.M. Bullion. Do you know why I think you should invest in silver and gold? Because the plan for your money is to make it worth less tomorrow than it is today. That's the plan. That's the Federal Reserve. The people who are in charge of the money, that is their stated goal, to devalue it by 2 to 4% a year, it's called a controlled inflation, and it is necessary for our economy to grow the way they think it should. And you know what? It sort of kind of works, but it is like this. If you take a whole bunch of money, let's say $100,000, and stick it under your mattress, it's like this year, if it's a 2% inflation, somebody just comes into your house and takes $2,000 away. It, it works the same way. Gold and silver are a hedge against that. That doesn't mean go all in. I got an email today. Should I take all my extra money and put it in silver? No! Don't do that! But over time, try to build a portfolio 
where 5 to 10% of your net wealth is insured and assured with precious metals like silver and gold. And when you're doing that, go to JM Bullion because you get personal service and better pricing than the big silver and gold houses. And if you are a member of the Support Brigade, they'll give you a discount on purchases over $300. And all orders ship free at jmbullion.com. Check them out and you'll see why when I need silver and gold to add to my portfolio, it's where I go to get it. You will too once you give them a chance. On that note, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You'll get discounts from JM Bullion, Backwoods Home, about 40 other companies. Uh, it's just an awesome, awesome opportunity for you to help support the show and get more than what you've invested back if you're buying the stuff uh, that we use in our preparedness lifestyle. Anything from the guns to the gardens, the practical to the tactical, I've probably got discounts for you in the MSB. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters, all of you qualify for a discount. Email me before, not after you join. Put service discount TSPC in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences, and I will get that discount code back to you. With that, let us look at the year that was the episode. We have three today from Alex Rugg. The queen dies and a prince is born. The man who lived 187 years. And Baja, California, what and what survivors do. Um, I am going to... Read The Man Who Will Live 187 Years, just because it's intriguing to me. And I wonder how much is actually true about it. Patras Zertan is, this, is born this year in a small village in Hungary. He will live all of his 187 years in this village. His secret is eating a small cake called a kalashen, followed by milk and a swig of fruit brandy, probably a distilled wine called palinka. He will be re reasonably vigorous up until a few days before his death when he will walk a mile to the post office and back. My take by Alex shrugged, it is difficult to credit this man's age. My sense is his relatives enjoyed playing up how old he was. I doubt his long life, however long it was, has much to do with what he ate or drank. Not entirely, anyway. Some people are naturally blessed with long life. I watched a PBS special where they investigated what made people long live. The secret is to have parents who lived a long life. There is no pill or fruit or special exercise that will allow us to live forever or even 187 years. A good diet makes our years better, though. My sons follow a paleo diet, and my daughter has gone gluten-free. It has done them well, but I can no longer follow such a plan. I can approach it, but I can no longer be as strict as I once was. I was in bed for two days last time I was strict. I promised I would never do that again. So my advice is eat well and sensibly, all things in moderation. If I was told I could live 200 years and all I had to do was eat cooked carrots morning, noon, and night, I'd probably ask, what do I have to eat to live 150 years? Um, I have a couple things on this. Number one, I wonder how old this dude really was. Because when you get into these older societies and these indigenous societies, they often have these exaggerated number of years that a person's lived. And once a person's older than everybody else and no one remembers when he was born, things tend to get stretched a little bit. Um, but if this guy was rumored to live 187 years, he probably lived well past 100 to pull off that belief. And who knows, maybe the guy lived roughly the, that long. Is it possible? I, I think it is. I did some research and it turns out there's a whole list of people. None that are still alive, by the way. All that have passed away, you know, a hundred years ago or so. That have reportedly lived well into the middle hundreds. And I'm not talking about going all the way back to biblical. I'm talking a couple hundred, three hundred years ago. And um, I think if even one person does has done it, then it proves something. That the human body has the potential for longer life. And I, I think that's very interesting. Um, 
I also think that it makes me think of one of the talks I watched Jeff Lawton give at a PDC. And here's what he said. Somebody in the audience brought something up about living a long life. And he said, oh, you want to get straight into that. This is what you do then. And, and, and just listen to the similarity with uh, Petrus Zartan uh, and what Jeff Lawton's advice was for longevity. Stay where you live. Live there your entire life. Never travel much. Hmm? Um, be exposed to the dirt and the fungus and the, and the plants and eat the plants. Uh, be exposed to the bugs. Get bitten by the bugs that live there. And, and, and be exposed to all of those things and just those things. And, that, and to learn how to, to figure out how to feel like you have a meaningful purpose in life. Stay reasonably active. And he said, I don't mean go to the gym. What I mean is have something purposeful, physical to do every day into your old age. Be surrounded by family and community. And it's those societies where people live that way, where we traditionally have people that live to be 100 years old or older, not as a rarity, but as a typical thing. Let me read to you again what it says about Petrus Zartan. Petrus Zartan is born this year in a small village in Hungary. He will live all 187 years in this village. His secret is eating a small cake called a Kaslashan, followed by milk and a swig of fruit brandy. Possibly a distilled wine called Panlika. He will be reasonably vigorous up until a few days before his death, where he will walk a mile to the post office and back. Those two things sound very, very similar. My take by Jack Spirico. And with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. Just want to remind you that we have about five people lined up now that are coming here. Saturday, the 21st of March, the first day of spring, uh, to work with us. We're going to be putting in, assuming it doesn't rain again, irrigation systems. If not, we're going to be putting in uh, support species in the food forest. But either way, we're going to have a great day. We're going to, we're going to do some work. We're going to learn about permaculture. I'm going to show people around the uh, property and uh, let them get an understanding of what's going on here, answer questions, and hang out with you. And I'm going to cook some of the best pork shoulder you've ever eaten in your life. And it looks like we're going to go ahead, and I'll just announce it today, and I'll put out a post later. But March 28th, next week, for those that can't make this week, or those that hopefully I give you a great time and you want to come back, March 28th, we're going to go ahead and do this again. Because I've got a lot of stuff to get done this spring. Uh, kind of fits in with today's topic, you know, homestead project management and how to get things done. Um, but I've got a ton of things to get done this spring, and we just don't have time to do a full-on workshop. And I thought these would be cool for people that are, you know, can drive in uh, in a day or less and, and come hang out for a day and get the experience without it costing you anything. I'll feed you, put some beer in you, what have you, and hopefully we'll have some uh, real cool sense of community. You guys get to meet each other. So right now we have five people coming for that. I've got plenty of room for more. Uh, I've said on the Zello channel, I never cook less than a whole pork shoulder when I do pork shoulder. So right now we're going to have an awful lot of leftovers. So come on out, have some fun, and uh, get some of the best pork shoulder you'll ever eat. I will commit to you that that's how it'll be. But if you can't come, uh, the 28th you can come. So right now what I have people doing is if you're going to come to the one uh, on Saturday, this Saturday, send me an email at TSPC32115 in the subject line. If you want to come next weekend, send me it with TSPC3-28-15 in the subject line. 
And uh, everybody that does that, I'll give you some information about how to get here and whatnot before the event actually happens. Anyway, with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show, which again is homestead project management. Um, what I liked was that was that was the, the terminology that the folks on Zello who have had the, the suggestion came up with, because I think it's the major problem that we have with getting our projects done on the homestead is that we don't actually engage in project management. And if we did engage in project management, we would probably be a lot more effective as dun 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 project managers. At the same time, I want to kind of point out that one of the biggest reasons people don't get things done, whether it's a project on their homestead, whether it's starting a business, whether it's uh, getting something planted, no matter what it comes down to, the biggest reason is procrastination. And planning is absolutely a very profitable thing to do from a time and money and effectiveness standpoint. But planning turns into procrastination really easy. So there's a, there's a point at which you get the best plan you can and you hit the ground running and you do it. So even though we're going to talk some about planning and priority today, I, I think it's important you don't let planning and priority become a tool for procrastination. Boy, the P's are lining up there. It's just the way it worked out, though. So what I've always tried to do with my planning is, is make a list of everything that I feel needs to be done. And also everything I feel I want to get done in the next year or two. I don't care how long it is out. But what are all the things I want to do on my property? Let me actually list them. And I like to do this in Excel. It'll work in Word, but Excel is so much more flexible. Or whatever spreadsheet program you use. You know, if you use OpenOffice or whatever Mac has or, or what have you. Um, but just list them. So great big cell. And, 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 you know, you don't have to put all kinds of details with this is a planning tool. And so, you know, summarize it like install tanks. You know, that might mean you're going to install seven tanks or whatever. Just install tanks, right? Or uh, um, put swales in or uh, build outbuilding or create chicken tractor or whatever it is. Just keep it short and simple. And then in the next cell, give it a number, okay? A number that indicates the priority that it has in your life. And this is my order of priority. You might create your own, but I think this is a good one. A number one priority for me, something will die if I don't get it done. This means I have trees coming, they have to go in the ground, and I need to get irrigation there, or when the summer temperatures come, the trees will die. Or I have trees, they're sitting in a box in the garage, and I only have a certain amount of days that they, before they need to be unpacked and either put in damp sand or planted where they're going to go. And if I don't do it, they're going to die. If I have uh, livestock that need to go to an area and I need to be able to provide them water and that doesn't get done, and they'll die, right? And that doesn't necessarily have to die, but at least their health will be poorly affected. And those things always get a number one priority for obvious reasons. You can't take death back. So if my pump goes out in my pond system that requires recirculation, the fish in the summertime will die, so it's a high priority. When it went out in the wintertime and the fish could give a rip about that and they're only stupid goldfish anyway, it 
kind of went down the list as a priority, and I got to it when the water wasn't so cold, and I didn't mind sticking my arms in it up to my neck to pull out the, the old pump and replace it. So understand that die is not so much something literally will die, but the, the, the health of something that's important to me could be affected, and that's always number one. Number two, if I don't get this done in a you know whatever the time limit is to get it done, it will cost me a lot of money, or will cost me a lot of what I call time setback. So if I don't get something put in, let's say I have trees and I need to get them. And again, you got to apply this to your world and your needs. If I have trees and I really want to get those trees in this spring, that these are trees that I'm okay with putting in the ground in spring. I don't really want to wait till fall. And I either get the area prepared to plant them or I'm going to have to pot them which is never the best thing for their roots, or put them in some sort of a deep sand bed or whatever, and then I'm going to have to take care of them until the next planting season. That doesn't mean they're going to die, because I have a way to keep them on, let's say, tree life support. But it does mean that I'm going to lose that entire season of real growth, because they're going to be caged up in these, these pots or whatever. I'm going to get circling and girdling root syndrome. And for the next six months, I'm going to have to spend time taking care of them. So I really don't want to do that. So that's going to cost me time setback. Another thing might be if I had a project I needed to get done, and right now to avoid something dying or having its health affected, I'm doing something different. And that's costing me money and or time. And to me, time and money are kind of the same thing. So another thing, again, this is another way to look at an irrigation project. I can get irrigation done there, but I have to move sprinklers around. And it's a lot of work. But nothing's going to die. It's just going to mean that I have to, to do you know certain things. Or I'm, I'm spending a lot of money on feed, and if I get paddocks set up, the animals will have more effective browse, and it will cut my feed bill. Now that's costing me money. But since, the, since I didn't have the paddocks in, for instance, that's why that went to a very high priority and it got done. Since I didn't have the paddocks in, it was also creating a time setback in those areas not being improved in quality as rapidly as possible. So there's a time and a time, a time setback and a monetary cost associated with not having effective paddocks set up for the browsing of my ducks. Again, you have to figure out where this fits for you, but priority two, it's going to cost me money and or time setback. It gets a two. Um, if it's time setback, money, and something's going to die, it defaults to a one. It always defaults to the higher priority. So it's not that a one can also be a two and even a three, but whatever the highest number is, that's the rating it gets in the little cell next to the word. So A column, uh, install paddock fencing. B column, two. All right. Now this is going to die, but it's costing money, me money and time. All right. Number three, it's not going to cost me a lot of money or time setback right now. Okay. It, it, it's something that can get done when it gets done, but. In the long-term success of the whole, it's critical. And when I look at what I'm trying to accomplish on my homestead over a five-year plan, somewhere along the way, this has to happen. Okay, I've got to get this done. A number four priority. It is something we really want. Something we really want. It's not going to cost me money. It's not critical to the success of the whole. Nothing's going to die. But by God, I really want it done. Like, 
I want an outdoor kitchen. I can't tell you how much I want to get all the crap off of my porch and get a nice, well-organized outdoor kitchen area set up so that when I'm cooking and barbecuing and grilling and doing all that stuff, that it's all out of the way, everything's organized, everything's where it belongs, it's shaded, it, it, I'll stay dry, I won't get wet, uh, if it rains, I can. I want lighting, so if I'm cooking in the wintertime outside, because I do that here in Texas, I can see and I can actually get the steak done to the level that my wife wants it done, and my steak done to the level that I want it done, which is a lot less. I don't want to over or undercook because I can't see well. I really, really, really want... An outdoor kitchen. But anything that's going to die comes before it. Anything that's going to cost me money and time sat back has got to come before it. And anything that's actually critical to the long-term success of my organization or my, my homestead has got to come before it. Or I have to find a place where I can't do those other things anyway and this one fits in with a money and time quotient. All right? The next thing is, Something that will be nice to have. I'm not over my head in love with the idea of having it. I don't feel like I've got to have this, but I'm thinking, yeah, it'd be nice. It would be nice if. I'd really like that. Not I really want it, but I, I'd like that. That would, that would be good. That would be nice for my guests, right? So my upstairs guest rooms are pretty nice right now. We've thought about, you know, we'd like to scrape the ceilings of the popcorn, make them a little bit more cozy and what have you. But I don't really want that. That's just nice to have. It'll make the value of the house higher, and it'll make my guests experience a little bit better. But in the end, my guests get a bed. If they don't like it, tough. Okay? That's th So that's how I prioritize that. So once you have that all in Excel, all you have to do is sort by number. And boom, you're in the priorities. And then just put some spaces between your ones, your twos, your threes, your fours, and your fives. And then you can look at each one and say, out of all my ones, let me rate them as a 1.1 to a 1.5. How likely is it that something is going to die? 1.1. That means if, if I don't do this, it's going to die soon. 1.5 means eh, it's not good. You know, I might lose two or three out of, out of, out of 20 trees acceptable losses, but the other ones aren't going to thrive. That's, you know, maybe a 1.5 and anything else in between. And you don't have to really think about this hard. Just use your gut. You plug those in. And then you do a sort ascending of just the group of ones. And all of a sudden your ones are in an order. Simple, no? Same you do it with your twos, your threes, your fours, your fives. And you always leave some extra spaces in there. Anything that comes up, immediately plug it into your spreadsheet. That's all you have to do as soon as it comes up. Then I have what I call the wild card priority. You decide how to do this wild card priority for yourself if you're going to. My wild card priority I, I do is a 1A. A 1A puts it right to the top. And my wild card priority is something my wife wants after tolerating too much of everything else. She's waited, she's waited, and she just wants this one thing. And I'm doing all these things that I think are critical to food you know, security and water security and business and overall operations. And she's like, you know what? I want a flower garden in the front. Okay, as long as I can justify it against the things not dying and not costing us too much money in the number two priority, we'll, we'll put that up at the top 
and we'll figure out how to work it out and get it done. Because she deserves that because she tolerates all my eccentricity and craziness. You may not have that dynamic going on, but if you do, create a 1A priority. That's it. And you'll be surprised at how easy things get after you do that. Now, once we get that done, once we get that done, there's, there's things that get in the way. And if we go through that list of things that get in the way, we can do a lot to get them out of the way. Number one is underestimation of the time and money required. And I tell you, use what I call the 1.5 factor. Most people are terrible at estimating. I'm good at it. My job in the past involved an awful lot of it. Uh, whether it was in, you know, when I was in sales for Fluke, there's what's called forecasting, and that's all about estimation. And when I was in the cabling business, in the outdoor plant business, which is basically cable in the ground or pipe in the ground instead of in a building, that's all, especially the sales side, it's all estimation. It's being able to walk into a building, look at all the ceiling structures, know the talent of the group you're selling for, their installation timelines, their project management schedules, how they do a Gantt chart, looking at the whole thing and going, okay, this is 800 man hours. 800 man hours, X amount of materials, okay, this is a $78,000 job. Now, you're going to go home and you're going to go back to the office when you're in that world and you're going to do what's called a takeoff. You're actually going to plan out a bill of materials. But what I learned very early on is it took me about a month of that where I could go in and estimate a job within 5% by doing one walkthrough with the customer understanding, and I would always be that close. And my jobs would be profitable, so I was good at estimating. I still mess up when I do estimates for my homestead, and I was a professional estimator. Okay, um, We went and bought food for the one of the big events here. And Dorothy said, how much do you think this is? We had like three carts of stuff at Costco. And I, I don't remember what I said, but I was like, like $2,650 or something like that. And um, she said, you think so? And I, yeah, yeah, that's what I think it is. And then, you know, the number came up quite a bit, a, a little bit higher. And then the interesting thing was when we took all of the taxable items and took the sales tax out, I was like within like 10 bucks of the cost of, of, of all the food for the event. So again, I'm very good at this. Uh, and I don't, sometimes I don't even know how I do it, but I mess up homesteads. That means you probably will too. And, and here's why. If I'm estimating a grocery cart, I've been there before, I've looked at the prices, I kind of understand where we're at, I have a feeling about it, the gut instinct is probably correct. When I'm estimating a job where I'm going to bring in a crew of 12 workers and I'm estimating it on man hours and I have a burden labor rate and I'm in a formulaic situation where those guys are going to show up at 8, they're going to work till 5 unless there's overtime, the project manager's got a gun to his head with making sure he meets his budget, etc. I have an awful lot of knowns in there, and I can estimate very, very accurately. When I estimate how many, and I'll even go, and that's a big thing people don't do, is they don't estimate man hours, they estimate days. Like, this will take three days to do, assuming your brother-in-law and your best friend are going to be there with you, Okay. That's, you know, that's that's not 24 man hours now. Okay, and it's not three days of man, it's not three man days. If your brother-in-law and, and your best friend are going to be there and it's going to take three days of work, it's nine man days. Okay, 
Three days we came because there's three men involved. And this is one of those things you don't get all worried about being sexist. When women come, they, they count the same. If I need five people, you want to call it people days because you feel better about it uh, with political correctness. If I'm going to have five people for three days, I have 15 people days. And it makes a lot of sense to break that into hours. 15 people days is uh, 120 people hours or man hours. And that's important because you can be reasonably assured that a scheduled work day at a job will be an eight-hour day. Some people slack off, some people work a little harder, but especially when you average it out over several employees, some that pull the slack of the weaker ones, you get about eight hours of man labor per day from employees who are being paid by the hour. When you do something at a homestead, It seldom works that way. So what happens is, well, I'm going to do this on Saturday. Well, Saturday, you don't have the alarm go at 4.45 in the morning. Get up, slam chow, pat the kids on the head, send them off to school, blah, 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 blah. Hit the car, haul ass down the freeway to get to work by 7 a.m. or whatever it is. Saturday, you're going to work, you get up about 7 instead of get to work at 7 and make yourself an egg, turn on the boob tube and watch the liars on Fox News uh, for a little bit, or whatever it is you do. And there's nothing wrong with this. Have a cup of coffee, read the paper, take the dog for a walk, and ah, about 9.45, we're going to get to it. And then in the middle of that, somebody shows up who's your friend that says, can I help, but they have no intention of helping, and all they do is create a delay, because they're what you would call in, in, in true project management a time burglar. Uh, somewhere along the way, your wife says, hey, Susie's coming over, and she'd really like to talk to you about, you can't, and all of a sudden, the mandate of eight hours has resulted in about five hours of work. So, To get your time estimate right, you have to be honest with yourself. How many hours am I actually going to work on the Saturdays and Sundays or after work hours, etc., that I actually have to do this? Because days are not the same thing. Because when you're at work, you can't bother me. You can't interrupt me. I'm sorry I'm at work. And I actually have a whole organizational structure of people that will make you leave me alone. So you have to. When I'm working in my backyard, oh, he's just hanging out. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk to you. And then what happens? Okay, I've got a Saturday where the wife is going somewhere, or she's helping, right? One or the other. She's committed to help this time. Nobody's coming over. Nobody's going to bother me. In fact, everybody thinks that we're in Timbuktu. Right? No one even knows we're home. Everybody's going to leave me alone, except my one buddy who's going to come and help. So that gives me an extra day. See, that's how you have to think about it. If I actually get a productive person to come help me, I've gained an entire day if we work for that entire day. Okay? So we've got, I've got that going on. You know what happens? <laughs> rain. And it's a project that you needed it not to rain to be able to do. Or, Ring. Hello. And what happens? Something pulls you away. Something that took your perfect day that you're going to be able to focus on. All of a sudden there's an emergency or something. So there's always these interruptions. So to estimate the time, you actually have to think in hours and man hours and man days to get this 
figured out how long this is really going to take. And the reason this is so critical is unlike a, a job in a, in a business where if I, if I get this wrong, I'm going to go negative to profit and I'm going to have to pay to work, right? So it's very clear and easily understood and you know you got to get it done. But in this case, it costs you the same way, but you don't feel it the same way because it's your own time and you're paying yourself with the results. The other thing that happens, if you get stuck in the middle, you might end up in a situation where you really needed to get this done during this week where you knew it wasn't going to rain, and now you need a roof on something, and here comes the rain. And you underestimated it, so now you're in a, a situation where, man, I'm really up against a, a wall. So you've got to estimate the time accurately, and money as well. Money is hard because you think, well, here's all the parts I'll need, and here's how much they cost. And then there's all these like, five or six things you have to adapt, improvise, and overcome around, where you think, well, I already have this stuff, and you find out it doesn't quite do what you thought it would, and, and what have you. So I just use this simple fudge factor of 1.5. You do your best guess on hours, so if it's 10 hours, it's 15. 10 times 1.5. Right? You do your best guess on costs. Five hundred dollars, budget seven fifty. Five hundred times one point five. And when you nail the estimate and you've got two hundred and fifty extra dollars, put it to your next priority on the list. And do it again. And eventually you'll get pretty good at your estimates. Because you'll get more honest with yourself. You'll absolutely get more honest with yourself. Um, the next thing is in spite of what I gave you with the numbers of priorities, people generally are poor with priority. We almost, as human beings, we are hardwired with the gratification effect. And that's because it helps keep you alive if you're a hunter, forager, gatherer. If you come along a tree where the fruit is really ripe and sweet in early fall and you start just slamming carbohydrates and you put fat on, you think, oh, that's bad. Not when you have to get through a lean winter, it's not. So we're hardwired that way. Or when you find something that will store and you start having this, 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 like if you've ever collected anything or searched for anything or hunted for anything, whether it's mushrooms or seashells on a beach, once you start finding what you're looking for, there's this feeling that like as you fill up a bucket, it's, you feel good. All right. Well, if it is mushrooms, you can dry or it is nuts or something like that. And you're storing it for the winter like a squirrel. This is a good thing. So we are hardwired with a reward level concept that like this feels good, so I want to do it. So what happens in our priority planning is my kitchen. Every time I go out on that porch and I see everything jumbled and crammed up on there, I want to scream and I really want to have my outdoor kitchen. But I have things where something will die if I don't get it done and things that are going to cost me a lot of money if I don't get it done and those have to come first because one's a want and the other one's a need. And we are just in direct opposition of as beings to putting the needs first. But if we'll do it, it is always beneficial in the long run. The next thing is a failure to hire or ask for help. Ego gets in the way. A belief that it's not that hard, I just need the time to do it. And maybe you're right, but maybe you're not going to have the time. And I think when you're hiring, you need to hire in uh, multiple ways. 
the complicated and the time-consuming. And sometimes the time-consuming is the best thing to hire to. Because you don't need a really skilled person. You don't really need to supervise them. You say, I need all this done. And if it's just brute work or time-consuming work, you can probably get it done cheap. And now you can focus on the things that require your attention. So I think that the failure to hire and ask for help and the ego gets in the way, right? I, I say it all the time that we've become a society that always calls a guy to do everything. And that's bad too. But it's, it's, it, 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 there's balance in all things. And if I look at something on my property and go, boy, I've got some stuff that's a number one or two priority. But I got some stuff that's some threes And the threes are not that hard, and they don't really—they won't really cost that much to get somebody to do it. And if I wasn't even worried about those threes, I could do a lot better job on my ones and twos. That is a perfect thing to hire somebody for, or to ask for help with. You know what? This is a three. It'll take me two days, three days to do it. But if Bill, Tom, and Fred come over on Saturday, we can knock it out in a couple hours, and I can pay them in beer and pizza. Ask for help. Hire help. That's one of the biggest things we can do. Um, another thing that happens, and this is just a reality you have to accept, other things break that have to be repaired. So that's another thing that happens on that day, right? No one even knows we're home. No one's going to stop by and say they want to help and, and stand there while I dig with a shovel and interrupt me. No one's going to uh, call and say, oh, there's an emergency you have to come see too. And it actually goes right. And then you're out there and, and your wife or your help or whatever comes and says, hey, XYZ just broke. Or, hey, this cow looks like it's going to die. All of a sudden it's a number one, right? Um, or uh, the fence is down in the back or whatever it is, right? And there's things that go wrong. The power's out in the entire house and it's, it, it's not because the electricity's out. Or it is because the electricity's out and... Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be up anytime soon, and we need to fire up the generator backup power so we don't lose everything in the freezer, right? So those are the those are the the, the the what I call the rogue factors that make you want to put that 1.5 uh, fudge factor into your estimations. That's you know Murphy's law. If something can go wrong, it will. Uh, I like another version of that wrong that law, which is. Whenever you can't afford for something to go wrong, something will. It's not necessarily that, you know, whatever can go wrong will, but something will go wrong at the wrong time. That's probably another one of Murphy's Laws, by the way. But that is a, a huge thing that gets in the way. And the key with that is not so much, okay, you can't prevent it, other than, you know, trying to do things with quality the first time. Shit breaks, just to be blunt. But what happens is, X occurs. X pulls me away from Project Y. I go see to Project X. It takes me an hour. Now I've lost my flow. And I just say, screw it, and, and, and I don't go back to X. Or I don't go back to Project Y, or whatever I said at the beginning, right? I just don't go back to it that day. It kind of just wears me out. I'm like, you know, then I've lost the day. So what you have to do is rapidly see to things like this. Put out the fire, make sure it's good enough for now, and get back to that project you were working on until you run it to its fruition. And then maybe go tighten up the thing that you've, you've, you've kind of, let's say, gumball repaired in the meantime. Get good at that. 
and you'll get better at project management. The next one is perfect being the enemy of the good. People spending years planning something that takes a week to do. And never doing it because they never quite figure out how to do it perfectly. Or a project that you could complete in three man days, taking 20 man days, because you're fiddle-farting around with little pieces of it that are not critical to the success of the overall project. Finish it, and if you still want to go back and tweak it, then it's probably worth doing. And what you'll find is, all of a sudden, I don't really care about that anymore. And a lot of times, that is one of those impediments in a project that's based on, you're at step five, there's nine steps in the project, and you really question your ability to accomplish number eight. So if I can fart around with number six long enough, I keep procrastinating on getting to that one thing I'm not sure I can do. Get to it. You'll probably be able to do it. If you don't, then bring somebody in to help you with it. But never let perfect be the enemy of the good. And then the other one is the failure to accept and recognize what I call type one errors. And Bill Mollison defines a type one error as an error that you regret every day after you complete whatever you did. So you put something in place and then you regret doing it every single day of your life forward. And it's difficult to change. A lot of times we get into a project, we've spent money, we've allocated time, and we look at something and we go, that is just not going to work. And what we really need to do is stop and not do it that way. And return whatever we bought and get something different and go back to the drawing board and come back at it. Now, this is not perfect being the enemy of the good. This is like, if I do this, it's not going to be right and I'm going to end up having to do it again. And there's time to get it done with nothing dying and without it costing me a ton of money. It might cost me more money than I planned. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this done you know, properly. A lot of people, when they're engaged in that project, refuse to accept that error and go back and correct it. Or they put something in place, it really was a mistake, and they are afraid to tear it out. The longer it stays, the more it costs you. So when you recognize a type 1 error, take corrective action as to however it's possible or adapt, except, okay, I did this. This was dumb. But now this is way too costly. This is a true type 1 error. I put a damn where I shouldn't have. Well, I better figure out how to make that work for me. That would, that would be an example of a type 1 error. that now you can't, I can't just fill it back in. I can't get my money back. I can't. There's nothing I can do now except, except that it's there. And now I have to deal with it. Or I put my house in a place and I built a house. I, I just can't pick it up and move it. Now i got to figure out how to make it work. You know, And not sit there and lament it. But if I can identify the error before I'm totally committed, stop at that point and extract yourself and then reorganize and go back in. Those are the things that cause the greatest problems. Now, solving these issues and getting things done. Number one is hire to your weakness. We have a tendency to hire people who are a lot like us because we like them. Unless someone is a mirror clone of you, you're going to like them. But there's people that are like so identical to you, they actually are, you know, the, the opposites attract and, and the, the like repels. Well, like actually does attract like in humanity right up until the point that you're almost identical. But the guy that's 90% or the gal that's 90% of what you are, you have this affinity with them. 
The problem is, if you're hiring somebody into a company, for instance, and you're terrible at project management because you don't like to deal with details. And folks, I don't. And you hire someone that's a lot like you. Your personalities are similar. Your likes are similar. Your dislikes are similar. You hit it off great, and you're both talented people. They're probably going to suck at project management, too. Well, you need a project manager in your organization if you're not a good project manager, which means even if the person's not quite the type of person you would normally hang out and drink beers with, that's who you need. At a more practical level, down at the homestead level, if you're not good with electrical work, then always hire out your electrical work. See? It's very simple. If you hate, you can do something, but you hate it. It's just something you never, like you always know, if I have to do this, I am always going to put, I'm always going to lie about the whatever to, to not do it. I'm always going to find something to do first. I'm always going to avoid this, and I'm only going to do it when I absolutely have to. Hire to that. Hire to that. Because that is, that is like, it's like cancer. Because usually those things are related to like five other things you would do if it was already done. So that's the stuff that you find a good handyman and hire them. And a little bit on handyman management uh, and, and contractor management. We talked about this on Zello today, but if you hire a handyman, your first one might be a flake. Your second one might be a flake. But sooner or later, you'll probably find one that's really good, a guy that can adapt and figure out anything. He prices stuff fairly. He shows up on time. He gets it done. And he's the kind of guy or kind of gal you like having around your house and you trust him doing things like this. Once you find that person, understand their value. Never devalue them. And sooner or later, if you have them do a lot of things for you, they're going to get into something where they're going to screw up the estimate. And you're going to realize, like, the guy charged me 75 bucks for this, and I, I, I bet it cost him $75 to get it done. And, yeah, here's a here's here's 100 bucks. Oh, I said 75 Yeah, but I, I know you're upside down on this, and you did a good job, and here's 100 bucks. And refuse, refuse, refuse to not let him take the money. Dude, you're taking it. Uh, by the way, here's a six-pack of whatever beer you drink or whatever it is, or, or soda or Coke or whatever you like to go along with it. Thank you, and I'm going to have some more work for you next month. There's a couple reasons. Number one, if you are critical to my success, I want you to be successful. Okay? I If I if I want to be able to come back and, and 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 gain from what you provide again, I don't want you to have to go take a job working at 7-Eleven. I want you to be successful, so I want you to make money, even when it's my money. I want you to I want you to operate at a profit. One of my greatest sales statements when I was in the cabling industry, when I would have a customer say, "You know, you guys are underbid by 20% on this job," would be, you know what? Um, I know that organization. I know they have a similar structure and cost analysis to us. I'm very good at what I do. And they are going to lose money on this job because we're only going to make about 15% by the time it's all said and done with if everything goes right. So they're going to lose money on that job if you hire them. And I've had, I had customers say, but that's not my problem. And I say, yeah, it is going to be your problem. It's going to be your problem when you're coming up to your cut date And they realize they're going to lose money. They realize they screwed this job up. And they're doing everything they can to get out from under it before they lose another dollar. And you're going to go from being their valued customer to an expense. And you never want that to happen. 
I know we can make a fair profit doing this job for you, and that means you're going to be my valued customer right up until cutover point. And that means when you have change orders and things like that, we're not going to get stressed out. We're going to get them done. And almost every time I had that conversation, because you're dealing with a business-minded person, you end up with the deal without cutting your price. They're like, yeah, you know. And I, I even had guys on a big job. I'll go and I'll show you. Look, here. Here's our cost analysis. Here's our takeoff. Here's our markup. Here's our man hours. Here's my burden labor rate. I put 20% on this job. If I can't make 20% on this job, it's not worth my company doing it, and you don't want my company doing it. Now, with business-minded people that are project management-centric, that are budget-minded, that makes sense. Unfortunately, in our personal, interpersonal relationships, if we don't have that kind of thinking, we just think, I want to get it done for as cheap as possible. Let me be very clear. No, you don't. No, you don't. That is stupid thinking and you will get shitty service and you deserve shitty service for being a parasite on the people trying to help you. How blunt is that? That is the truth, though. That is the absolute truth. If you want to be able to call that person back up to do more work for you, you want them to pick up the phone and say, Hello? Oh, it's you. What do you need? Oh, that's awesome. I'll be there on Tuesday at 8 o'clock. And you want them to show up and you want them to do another good job for you. And you accept that mistakes happen. And when a mistake happens that you made on a project you're doing yourself and it costs you an extra 50 bucks, it costs you an extra 50 bucks. When they made the mistake, you made the mistake together. Now, I will hold a person to doing the work but I will share the loss with them financially because I value their assistance, if that makes sense. Now, if I have a big company that bids a, a remodel of my home of $50,000 and they, they end up in the hole, that's, that's a little bit different. I might work with them where it's re, like they found something they didn't know about, I didn't know about it, we talked about it in advance. Okay, now we'll, we'll work on that. But in the end, like, okay, but I'm talking about an individual relationship here that you want to cultivate. I've had guys, you know, look at a job and go, yeah, I'll do that for 75 bucks. And I've said flat out to them, if they've done work for me before and I know they're going to do a good job, yeah, let's call it a hundred. What? Let's call it a hundred. That's, that's, I'm just looking at it. I don't want to do it. Um, let's, let's call it a hundred bucks. And you know what? When I call them a month later and they have three projects that week to get done, whose house do you think they come to first? Who are they always honest with? That, And what does it cost you? What, what, what is 25 bucks in the grand scheme of your life? And I know there's people like, he's, he's, he's got a lot of money. He's a dick. I don't have that much money. Right? But when I look at the total cost over a year of improvements to my property and what is $25 of that, it's not much. And it's not something you always do, but it's something you do when it makes sense. And the person you, you have working for you will work harder for you and do a better job for you because of it. And in the end, your money with them will go further. I, in the computer and, and networking and hardware industry, we used to have a saying that you can have something be cheap, you can have it be reliable, or you can have it be fast. And you can have any two of those. I can build you a system that's cheap and reliable. I can build you a system that's cheap and fast, but you can only have two. When you're looking for quality out of people doing work for you, you get the best quality, you get the best attention uh, to detail, and you get the best reliability when you pay them a little bit more than they ask for. 
It's so insane. And it doesn't always have to be money. I'm telling you, the guy that comes that works for you and you're talking to him and you just say, hey, what kind of beer are you drinking? He goes, yeah, I drink Budweiser. Even though I don't drink Budweiser. You know, and then while he's working, you have to run to the store or something. You pick up a six-pack, and at the end of the day, you hand him a six-pack of beer along with his money. It, it, it's so few people do that. You know, so few people do that. Or, you know, I don't drink beer. Well, what do you drink? I drink uh, iced tea or whatever. And, you, you know, you make him a jug of tea or whatever. Just say, hey, here while you're working, have this. You know, you see a guy, he's outside working for you, he's sweating his ass off, and you get a, you know, a cold bottle of water and take it out and hand it to him. Go, hey man, it looks like you're, you give a shit, right? These, these little things get the most out of your people, and they cost so little. So little. You know? Um, the other thing to hire for is the easy but time consuming. I kind of talked about that, but there's things that I have a systemic overview of that I, feel that certain details are critical. And I want to make sure they're done a certain way. A placement is perfect. So even if I hired a guy to run an excavator, uh, he, he can run the excavator for me, but it doesn't really mean I can sit in here and do a show. i got to be out there. I want to know when that blade goes in the ground, where it's going to go in the ground, when it's going to come out, how deep that's going to be, whatever. Okay, But there's a lot of stuff where I don't really care how you do it. I don't even care how long it takes you to do it. I just care that it gets done, it gets done properly, and I care how much it costs. So when you say, well, I want a hundred bucks to do this, and I say, fine, and it takes you two days, and uh, I know that what's cost you is your time, and it's by your own choice, here's your hundred bucks, and get it done, and I don't care. And then there might be detail-oriented stuff attached to that, but that's two days, or even a day, like, it would have took me a day to do it, it took you two days to do it, but I didn't have to do anything. All of that time-consuming, easy-to-do stuff, that's some of your best bang for the buck, because I don't need a specialized person to do that. I might be able to hire the next-door neighbor's kid, Jimmy, to do that. He can make a little bit of money. He learns a little bit of responsibility. It's not that hard. It gets done. And, you know, I'm helping a young person learn those things, and at the same time, they're helping me by taking care of something for me. So always hire to the easy but time-consuming stuff that you just don't have time for. The next thing is... Finish every project before you start the next one, unless life or money will be lost. Most people have six projects going at once. I can't figure out why I never get anything done. Well, because if you just did one, you'd be done with it this week, and you just did the second one, you'd be done with it next week. You just did the third one, that would take you two weeks. Now you're four weeks, you're done with three projects. What about these other three? I don't care, you don't have any of them done now. That is a constant frustration for me with people I've hired, you know, both for homestead stuff and for, um, uh, you know, uh, employment area, area stuff. Like they got like five things going at once. No, uh, uh, you're gonna do this, and when you're done with this, we'll talk about the next one. But you're not gonna do anything until you're done with this right here. Okay, that's effective management of an employee or a contractor or an intern or whatever. You have to do something that's very difficult on projects where you are primarily the person doing the work. You have to be two people. You have to be the employer and the employee at the same time. You have to manage yourself. You have to, at times when you feel stressed, and this is difficult for people to do. There's a little bit of Buddhist Zen stuff going on here. Extract. 
pull back. I'm going to pretend I'm not the one that has to do this. I'm going to pretend I have hired somebody to do this. And that somebody is splitting their time between these two things. What would I tell them? I would say, hey, dummy, come here. Get over there and finish that. Don't touch that again. If I see you doing that again, I'm going to fire your ass. Do we understand each other? Because I'm always a bigger dick to myself than I am to my actual employees. And then I say, okay, let's have a little split personality disorder here for a second. Yes, boss, I'm going to get that done. And then you go do that shit. Okay? That's how you effectively manage yourself. And I think this is how, this is a bigger skill than you might imagine when you hear it in today's show. This is how you solve so many of your problems. Most people cannot do this. They cannot extract themselves from the issue and act as a third party. So when you're trying to make an investment decision, well, I'm not sure what I should do. Back up. What would you, if a person wasn't you, but a friend, and they asked your advice, what would you tell them? And sometimes it would be, well, I wouldn't tell them anything. I'd go get professional, I'd tell them to go get professional advice. Then you go get it! Okay? Or there's some disagreement between you and your wife. And you're emotionally attached to it. If I were my best friend, and hopefully you are, and I was observing me doing these things, where would I say that I'm being an idiot and she's right? Well, I would say I'm being an idiot here and here and here, and she's right here, here, and here, and I'm right there. And I understand that as my best friend, I'm also a male, and I have a male perspective, so even where I think I'm right, I may, in fact, be wrong, Therefore, this is a better way to handle this. And I will go have a new con and I would say that you should go have a conversation with your wife and say these things. Then go do it. This is like the most important skill toward keeping your life moving forward that you can have. Anytime you're stuck, back out. Just back out and leave yourself there, like almost like an out of body experience. I'm now still there being a dummy. I see myself being a dummy. And I am going to evaluate my dumbness. And I'm going to use my actual superior intellect now that I'm not wrapped up in my own stupidity. And I'm going to formulate a new solution. And I'm going to advise myself from an intelligent level what to do. And then I'm going to listen to myself and I'm going to get it done. So do that in all things. But definitely with projects when you're stuck. Just pull out and say, if I had an employee doing this, what would I tell them? And then listen to yourself. The next one is... Develop that project list and manage by priority, time, and money. So the other fields that you're going to put into your Excel spreadsheet is your budget in dollars and your budget in time. So even something's a two, but the cost of it's $2,500 and you don't have the money, it's going to drop, right? So we go through based on overall priority. How important is it to, to, to life and money and time? On the property, okay? And then we say, okay, and what does it cost? And what do I have available? And when will I have more available? And then you also have to, with the time thing and money thing, you also have to say, if I do this, will it result in profit? So certain things with our ducks became a priority because people buy the eggs and therefore we get money from them. So, oh, wait a minute, what was a three is now a two because now money's coming in versus going out. So your, your, your variables are your priority, the time it's required to do it, and the money, okay? And I mean the money that it will cost you or earn you by getting it done. When you look at it that way, 
you'll find two things you like, oh man, these are both really important. They're both really important. Well, one's going to take you a day. The other one's going to take you a week. I have a day right now. That means that if I start this project right now, I can get it done. And since I've been honest with myself, I know I really can do this in a day. Because I said it was four hours, so I actually have six, and I get eight out of a day. And even though I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fart around for two of them, I still have that six hours, even with my 1.5 fudge factor in there. Okay, then I'm going to do this. Because I know that it will be finished next week when I only have one day to work on this. It's going to take three weeks now. Or this is going to cost me $3,000, and I don't have $3,000 right now. But this is going to cost me nothing but time and a little bit of money. Well, I'm going to get this one done because I know I can finish it. I'm not going to get $1,000 into it and not have the other $2,000 having sitting there open to the elements, so to speak. So those are your priorities. Money, time, and overall priority to your, your mission objective. You also need to do something very, very important that new homesteaders tend to forget to do. Schedule time for fun, for dates, And that includes dating your wife, guys, okay? And rest as well because you need it. And if you get into this very action-oriented mentality and you don't schedule downtime, you'll never take any. And when you do, you'll take way too much for way too long. What will happen is you'll kill yourself for three or four weeks. And you'll say, you know what? I'm just taking this weekend off. And you'll get out of this role, and then next thing you know, it's summer. And a lot of stuff you needed to get done before summer didn't get done, and now it's put off till fall. So schedule the downtime. And I build a lot of downtime into my midsummer. When it's too hot to do much of anything, when like, I'm not going to play anything, it's going to die, right? I either got the irrigation in or I didn't. I'm going to make sure the birds have water and make sure they move, make sure everything gets irrigated, turn this lever, turn that lever, or whatever, and spend an awful lot of time in July and August I spend sitting on my deck, reading books, and floating in my pool with my wife. Usually sitting in the shade while she floats in the pool. She likes to float more than I do. But I'll also say, you know what, next Saturday at, at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to be done with my projects for the day. I'm going to take a shower, and whether my wife knows it or not, she's going to dinner with me. And I did this long before the homestead stuff. I did this when I was in sales, and I was working 80 hours a week and stuff. And when I first told her this is what I was doing, I was like, I'm scheduling our time. And I even said, here's access to my Outlook calendar. Put time on my calendar. Say, I want these two hours. She thought that was, like, wrong some way. Like, I'm so unimportant to you that... That's what it takes to get you to spend time with me. And my response was, no, you're so important to me that that's what I'm willing to do to make sure that we spend the time together. In other words, if my 4 o'clock appointment with a customer is important enough to put on my calendar, then my 7 o'clock date with my wife is also important enough to put on my damn calendar. And women that have a problem with that, you really should think about that. You really should think about that. You should actually be pissed, okay, if your husband or your boyfriend doesn't do that. Because we have this warped, twisted, like, and this is important beyond the interpersonal ethics here, okay? And I'll get back to how it applies to other things as well. But 
if because we've like wanted to create this whole like family so important that it should just be natural and not have to be, but see we don't live in a world like that. We don't live in a world like that. And the person who's determined to get things done that sets a schedule will meet it. And what happens is if you don't schedule things like date nights, fun time, etc., when you do have the downtime where you could spend it, you're just thinking, I'm just tired and I just want to take a break. And all I want to do is sit in my ass and not move. Where if you schedule these things in there, you stay a lot more refreshed and you get a lot less downtrodden and you get a lot less tired. And you, since your relationship stays positive, okay, there's a lot less stress and therefore you're more effective. And you understand each other better. Now, this is also true of things like there's things I need to get done on Saturday. If I don't schedule the things that I know I'm just going to do anyway, I don't account for their time and therefore the things I've scheduled don't happen. Or the things I assumed I would just get done, it, it's 8 o'clock at night, now I'm doing them because I didn't do them all day. So it's not just about the interpersonal relationship. It's also about the task-based things that need to be done. So it, it, if nothing else, get a pen and a stack of index cards and every day when you when you wake up, sit down and write all the things you need to do that day on that card. Okay? And anything that comes up during the day that needs to go, make big spaces between them. And anything that comes up during the day that needs to be done and, and also it's like an ad hoc, put it wherever it goes in the priority on that card. The next day, turn it over. And take anything that never got done the first day and put it very uh, right at the top of the card on the back side. Then fill in all the new stuff, leaving space so you can work in stuff that comes up during that day. On the next day, take a new card, look at anything that didn't get crossed off on the back of the card, top of the new card, throw the old card in the compost pile, and repeat the process. Do that in your job, do that in your life. Pick up the kids, whatever. You can do it on your smartphone or whatever. I don't care. I, I used to do it with with, with, with uh, index cards. You know, now I use technology more applicably with notes. You know, with my memory, a lot of times I don't actually write it down. I probably should, but I don't. And with my memory, it usually doesn't matter. But most people don't have that type of recall. They just don't. And things slip, and you forget about it. No, I was supposed to do that. I didn't do that. Oh crap. You know, and and I find I make excuses because the stuff that I claim that I forgot, I actually just didn't want to do. Like the 1A priority right now is hang a picture in the living room. I just don't feel like it, but I'll probably do it today anyway because now I've committed myself to it by saying it on the air. That's another thing you can do. So when you have something you don't really want to do, but you know you can do it, and you know it's not that big a deal, and you know you just don't feel like doing it, commit yourself to it, and then you'll have to do it. So there's another little bonus tip in there. You also have to develop what I call monastic patience, the patience of a Buddhist monk. When it comes to homesteads, accept this one rule. You will never be done. You will absolutely never be done. I've talked to quite a few people that are retired now, people especially that took like early retirements are still in good shape, you know, 55-year-olds, that maybe got their homestead when they were 45. And went from having to work every day to being able to stay home on their homestead. And you know what they say? I, I don't know how I ever got everything done before I when I had a job. And that's just the reality that you'll find something to do. 
you'll find something you want, you'll find something you need, you find something you can make better. There's always work to do. I mean, you're talking about people, you know, that are owning an acre or two or more. Just on that alone, there's always something that you need to do. There's always something that needs your attention. It's it's enjoyable, but it it needs, you know, there's always something. And for the first five years, have at least a five-year timeline in your head of the things that you have on these big priority lists because it's going to take that long or longer to get them done. And you cannot cheat time. You can't. You're a one person or a small team and whoever you can get to help you and whatever you can afford to hire. And there's only so much you can get done per day. And there's only so many days you have to, to do them in. And you're just going to have to accept it for it to be the vision you've created for yourself. It's going to take half a decade to get it on track to be there in a decade. Right? So you have to have this monastic patience. It will be what it will be. And it will become what it will become. But it will take time. Even if I plant a hundred trees today, if they're tiny trees, they're only going to be X big in five years. And some of them are going to die. So I'm going to plant more than I need. But I'm going to have to wait. If I put a seed in the ground today, I won't even see a sprout for seven to ten days. I have to have patience. But balancing the patience, you have to have military mission thinking. I have patience, but yet I'm going to get shit done. I'm going to create this priority list. I'm going to work this priority list. I'm going to do things in this order. And I'm going to get shit done. Period. Okay. On that note, another thing you can do to help yourself is put like what I would call a reckoning date as another layer in your your Excel spreadsheet. So you know we talked about a number one priority. Something's going to die if I don't get it done. Well, is something going to die tomorrow? Is something going to die next week? Or is something going to die if I don't get it done by next month? Or is it going to cost me money tomorrow? Or is it going to cost me money next week? Or is it going to cost me money if I don't get it done within a month? So put a reckoning date in there as well with your with your uh, priority planning. And then use that military mission thinking. So now I've decided I'm starting Project X. Alright, it's a mission. It's not a task. It's a mission. What's the difference between a task and a mission? You're allowed to fail at tasks. Missions are to be accomplished up to the point and including your own death. Let's not be too literal with that, but that's the mentality. If you're, if, if I, you work for me at a computer, uh, you know, programming company, and I say I need you to make this date, the worst thing that can happen to you is you can get fired for not making the date, and as long as you have a good excuse, eh, you're probably not getting fired, right? It's a task. And there's a bunch of subtasks, and you're going to manage those subtasks and get as many done as you can and what have you. I'll hire you if you're former military above anybody else because I know that you're going to be programmed to take the task and turn it into a mission. In the military, if I say, hey, take that hill. Well, you're taking the hill. If something's got to die for you to take that hill, you're taking the hill. 
If I say take the hill, go up this side of it, and, and you realize you can't get up that side of it, you're not going to be stupid and charge up the hill, not if you're a good soldier, but you're going to back off and you're going to make command decisions on the ground for how are we going to take this hill. You're going to radio back and ask for help. If it comes, you're going to be glad it's there, and if it's not, you're still going to take that hill. If nothing else, you're going to have a contingency plan. So I'm going to say your primary mission is, if it's not possible, your contingency mission is. And you're going to default to the contingency. And when you default to the contingency, you damn well getting that done. And, and that kind of thinking, along with the patience, is what's necessary as a homesteader. You have to realize you're walking in the footsteps of people of the homesteading generation from the 1800s who would take a job in a city and work that job for three to five years saving every penny, every dime they could, and pretty much living on bread and water. Take that money, and they probably built some little shack on the edge of town, and while they lived in that shack for three to five years, they, they got by as best they could, and when it was time to leave, they burned the shack down and picked the nails out of the ashes to take with them with the cart they bought to go get a piece of land that they could get by homesteading it. That was before they even got their land. That took a lot of military mission thinking, but it sure as hell takes a lot of patience and a lot of commitment. It's so much easier today. It's okay for us to have patience, as long as we manage the patience along with the mission thinking. Always accept your limitations as well, but adapt around them whether you're hiring your, to your limitations or saying, since I'm limited here, this is what I can do to get it done. And always temper your need-want ratio to the need. That's probably the most difficult thing for us to do, is, is to be honest. Oh, I need this. Do you really? It's really easy when your kid tells you he needs a new game for his Sega, Nintendo, or whatever the hell kids play today, Game Boy, I don't know, what the hell, uh, Xbox, or whatever it is, right? Oh, I need this. No, you don't. You don't need it. You ain't going to die without it. You don't need it. That's my, my dad was very fond of that saying. Uh, but then we convince ourselves we need something. Oh, I need this. Or this has to happen. Does it? And what is the level of need? Is it like oxygen? We need that now, right? Is it water? I need that today. You know? Is it food? Need that this week. Want it right now. Got to have it this week, right? Is it shelter? You know, I need that to a degree, depending on the climatic conditions and things like that. And we have to provide that kind of analysis to everything that we want to get done. How needed is it really? And how beneficial is it? So that's the other thing. Is like, So what is the benefit of getting it done? That's the other thing you have to do. Well, it's done and I'm happy about it. Okay, well, that's pretty minor, actually. Well, because this is done, it enables the operations to go forward that actually start generating a profit from our activities. Even if it's not technically a need, it just kind of has like what you'd call an X factor at that point. So even though I've given you these things like, you know, rate them based on is something going to die, it's a one. If it's going to cost you money or time setback, it's a two. If it's critical to long-term success, it's a three. There's all these other factors, the budget, the time, the desire, etc. Always also like kind of tweak things to the X factor. Like by doing this, I'll be able to accomplish Y. Y leads to Z, Z leads to money. 
where Z leads to so much free time that I actually will be able to get all this other stuff done. So one of the things you have to do in this prioritization is if you feel you never have time, it's probably because you're wasting some, whether you want to admit it or not. So ask yourself, how many hours a day do I spend doing all the tasks that I get done? You know, when, I, I went up to Perma Ethos. Uh, we were having some, some management issues. And I'm like, how much time do we spend doing X, Y, and Z? You know, and like one of the things was we spent a couple hours a day turning compost. What, 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 what? Right? You know, and uh, yeah, we, we was like, you know, we're down here. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. And, you know, and then Nick Ferguson designed a little shelving system and for the compost to sit on. And we have a tractor with a front end loader. You pull in, you pick it up, you dump it. You do that twice, move to the next bin. You get the whole thing done in a few minutes. Well, we're supposed to be permaculture. <laughs> Now, we're making compost. That's the whole point. Not to sit here and, and jerk around with it. So that we can say we turned it by hand. You have five people for two hours. Okay, that's ten man hours. We can burn a thimble full of fuel to save ten man hours. And make those man hours more productive and more meaningful. So you, you, you have to start looking at, okay, eight hours of work to change this dynamic will save me an hour a day. So it's an eight-day payback. So that's another way you can look at things. Like, okay, well, this is going to take me 40 hours of work. But right now, I spend two hours a day accomplishing this task. Once this 40 hours of work is done, okay, I'm going to be able to spend one hour a day. What's my time payback? Most people will never even think that way. That, instead of freaking Common Core math, there's the, the project that we should be giving people. Again, I'm going to give you the numbers. See if you can work them out in your head. It's going to take you 40 hours to accomplish a task. At the completion of that task, a task that you're currently spending two hours a day doing, will now take you one hour a day. What's your time payback in days? How many days does it take to pay yourself back for the 40 hours? Now, you're probably thinking it's 40 days. 40 hours, save a day, an hour. But see, I had to do the two hours... I had to do the two hours the entire time I was doing the 40 hours. So it's 80 days. It's 80 days. And on day 81, I profit by an hour a day for the rest of my life. It's probably worth doing. It's probably worth doing. I also have to ask the financial costs and do I have financial means to absorb the financial cost? If you start thinking this way, everything gets easier from this point forward. But start out with a simple spreadsheet. Just enter into a simple spreadsheet every single thing that you want to get done this year. And then start plugging in numbers and doing some sorting. Let me know how it works out. Uh, with that, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up today. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Many thanks to the folks on Zello that helped me uh, put this show together. And again, guys, if you have not checked out TSB Zello, Uh, get on over to the survivalpodcast.com, click on the Zello link, and uh, get over and hook up with some really awesome people. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. 
there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Yeah.